Hi and welcome to episode 16 of Life with Catherine. Today's podcast is about my mum. I'm going to talk about how my parents met, tell that story from the point of view of my dad. And I've, insert, I've included a little song of me singing. And then I'm going to share some a couple stories from when I was young and some experiences with my mum. So uh, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, it's just really special for me to be able to include some family memories. Here we go. I'm sitting down with a nice cup of coffee and lemon meringue pie, which is my favorite. And um, I'm going to the to tell you the story of how my parents met Jim and Sharon. She has been gone many years, so my dad has moved on and found a wonderful woman to spend his life with, and uh, they're happily married. So no disrespect to where they are now, but I'm going to go back in time to the story of how they met. My dad created a biography, and um, I guess about five years ago, and gave it to each of his girls, so us four sisters, and he's allowed me to, he gave me permission to share some of the stories on my podcast. So the only editing I'll do is if there's, example, maiden names or uh, certain cities that I feel will be too personal, I'll just edit that out. So, um just to respect some privacy. And so this is my dad talking. How we met story. It was a Saturday night in mid-August in 1964. I was involved in running a young people's group in the church. On that event, we had a boxed lunch auction. Gordon DuPont walked in with Sharon. We were to bid on the boxed lunch, and the highest bidder for that lunch got to spend the evening with that person. I looked at her with that magnetic smile and said that was the one for me. It was the only one that generated a lot of offers. I was not to be outbid. She was embarrassed at the competition for her. Naturally, I was successful. We enjoyed our time together. At the end of the evening, I took her home. At that time, she was staying with her Aunt Nettie in Shawnigan Lake. We went out every evening for the next two weeks. She was a maid at the Shawnigan Beach Hotel. I was working at the Shell gas station. At the end of the month, I took her home to New West. That's over the ferry and uh, over to the mainland. She was in university at UBC. When we got home, I met her parents and family. I sat on the Chesterfield and by some fluke caught my pants on a broken spring and tore a hole in them. Her mother covered me up and repaired the tear in my pants. She was embarrassed to no end. 
I went home and never saw or talked to her for about three years. I called her one Saturday, and she was not home. Her sister, Elaine, said that she was expected home in a few hours. Somehow I got distracted and didn't call back. I later learned that she had stayed home the whole weekend in case I called back. It was not to be. Then, in November of 1968, I called and asked her out for a date. She accepted, and we spent all day Saturday and Sunday together. The following week, I bet my mother a case of beer that I would be home on Sunday and would be engaged. She did not know I was even seeing anyone. That weekend, we went out on Saturday, and I took her up to SFU and asked her to marry me. When she accepted, I gave her a ring. As you can see, I came prepared. We went home and broke the news to her mom. She said to wake up dad. So we did. His comment was a celebration was in order and to put the coffee pot on. My comment was, can you not do better? That began our engagement time. By then I was in the Crofton pulp mill, so I was on shift work. And she came to the island three weekends out of four. The first weekend I told my mother that they would meet her, as she was going to stay for the two days. When your mother walked up the stairs, my mother said to Dad that this was not the same girl she had met five years earlier. By then she had contacts and blonde hair. Wow! What a shock. The sad part was that I was 20 minutes late at picking her up, and it was pouring rain the whole time. She was huddled in a phone booth to try and stay dry. I definitely made no brownie points that weekend. The day after we got engaged, she had to go down to the drugstore and tell her boyfriend that she was engaged and no longer available. And then he lists a few of the schools she taught at. I, I didn't really want to say those names. So I'm going to say she taught at this school and that. Elementary schools. She went to bridal fairs. We had a shower for her on the mainland, plus one in Duncan. I think she was looking forward to moving away from home. Her sister Elaine was a huge help in these trying and busy times, what with planning all the events in advance. Apparently Sharon had paid for a trip to Hawaii that summer. This was now out of the question, so she gave it to Elaine. Next year, the three of us went. The night before the wedding, we had a practice at the church. We then went to the hall to help decorate. Elaine and Bill Paul were having a discussion on the decorations at the head table. Will it be Sharon and Jim or Jim and Sharon? Size won out as Bill was well over six feet tall. Come the actual day, we all met at the church. We waited and waited. Where was the bride? Cold feet? Apparently not as all were there, except Dad and Sharon. 
no one was delegated to pick them up for the ceremony. Her cousin, Barry Hagen, finally realized what happened and got them. Jim Roberts was the priest. Art Terrian and Patrick Stinnison were the altar boys. Insert my comment here is that Art Terrian ended up being the principal at the school my mom taught at years later. And I think one of my sisters had him as a teacher as well, so it was quite funny. They were in my Boy Scout group, Art and Patrick. From there on, all went smoothly till the reception. <coughs> apparently Grandma, on, my, on Sharon's side, apparently Grandma's two sisters came and wanted to pass the shoe around for money. The bride's father was opposed to this. Finally, as we passed out the cake, friends gave us the money. There are many ways to solve these problems. As you all may know, she was a teacher. When I met your mother, she taught grade two. When she came to the island, she substituted a lot. She taught at Crofton Elementary, the year that Crofton Mill was on strike. All her students brought in used pens and pencils, used scribblers to start the year off. I think it was grade five that year. She really connected with these kids and had a great year. Next, she subbed at Mill Bay and had a challenging time. She was the third sub in two months. It only took her about six weeks to get that class settled down. She took the next few years off to have a family. When my youngest sister Anne, that's my sister, enrolled in kindergarten in Q of A, she took a full-time job there. So when her youngest daughter enrolled in kindergarten, she took a full-time job at the school. She finally ended up teaching kindergarten. I often ribbed her about going downhill as far as classes. For the next 14 years, that was her second home. I could tell after two days what kind of class she got for that year. One year, she finished off by being burnt out. On the first day of the next year, I sent her a dozen roses for opening day and signed it, Your Secret Admirer. She came home that night and said nothing. We had supper and sat to relax for the evening. Around 8 p.m., she said to me, It was you, wasn't it? I tried to hide it, but she knew. Life can be full of surprises. Whatever project she undertook, it had to be well done. She was like that at school, at home, on the road, and around her extended family. She insisted that all my speeches had to be rehearsed either in front of her or Steve Cronin. Her diligence made me what I am today. Summertime And the living is easy Fish are 
jumpy and the cotton is high oh your daddy is rich and your ma is good looking so hush little baby and don't you cry one of these mornings you're gonna rise up singing and you'll spread your wings and you'll take to the sky but till that morning there's nothing can harm you with daddy and mommy standing by with daddy and mommy standing seen my mom in many years. She passed away in 1998. It seems like yesterday, but it also is so long ago. I wasn't even engaged or married or with a kid. I didn't have a kid yet. She missed that part. So I guess the question is, how do you get past that and tell yourself you're okay? For me, the answer was, I just had to. And you have to say goodbye and let them go. Of course she wanted to stay. She would have loved to have seen Alyssa and been part of my wedding. And all the other events in, in our lives. I've forgotten her voice. I came across a video recently. It was very strange because she was talking on it. And I didn't recognize her voice. It was the oddest thing. And I guess around the corner, I don't expect to see her anymore. Obviously, I miss her and she's an incredible piece in my life. But when it's been so long, you almost get on and move forward and it's always a surprise and just a gentle reminder I include her in different ways in my life I have a tree outside my living room window that I I have a tree outside my window that I call the Grandma Sharon tree and or just my mom tree and every time I look at it I, I feel like it's waving to me or just kind of there and, and it's always growing and in nature it's just something I do for peace for myself and obviously I talk about her and and everything with my family and I've had incredible support from them I'm not going to talk about the journey the healing journey I had because that is so personal to everybody including myself 
I do know that the last time I said goodbye to her, I felt like it would be. When you're dealing with long-term illness, you never quite know if that is the time, but you're always kind of preparing yourself. So I had the feeling that it would be the last time, but so I'm very, very grateful to be able to say goodbye. But I really want to do is share some neat positive stories without, but with, with still acknowledging that she's not part of these things. So I want to be a realist and have a healthy conversation about somebody who's no longer here to let people know you can still talk about those things. You can still talk about how amazing she is. It's an important piece of my life. So I'm going to talk about some stories. My mother was a teacher elementary school when she was younger um, in her 20s and just starting out she taught high school I won't say where but she taught high school and then she found her passion and the absolute perfect fit for her which was elementary school she taught kindergarten and she taught grade two and different uh, things she was my grade two teacher which I thought was a total hoot but um it's interesting when you have a teacher for a mother. A lot of her friends were teachers from the school, so I never really had that veil, that perception of teachers aren't people. Teachers are just people who live at the school because I saw all the other sides and I also saw them in personal environments because they would come and visit my mom and they were friends. They went out together and... I also saw the behind the scenes of what it takes to put a classroom together and sometimes how much extra work um, certain students take and, and not take. And uh, when I was young, we used to, I remember like weeks before school started, we would start going into our classroom every few hours, you know, a few hours every couple days. And she spent a lot of time there putting up all the banners and the ABCs and getting the sandbox ready and all those things for kindergarten, I suppose, when I was younger. I was at the same school she taught at. And we never really knew who our teacher was until the first day of school. I think that's quite similar now for elementary. But um, we would go into her classroom and it'd be... 32 pencils, and then you'd have to sharpen them all. It'd be all the pencil crayon boxes, so we would sit and sharpen all the pencil crayons for every student in the class. And It wasn't really an imposition or anything. It was just something we did. And then when he wanted a break, you'd just go run around outside in the playground at the school with my sisters or just whoever was with us that day. And we would just run around and then you'd stop in and wave to the other teachers who were also preparing their classrooms. And it wasn't a remote area or anything, but we just had a lot of freedom and fun. But I remember one time when I was, I suppose, grade seven or grade eight. So old enough to look back and see these were little kids rather than just uh, peers 
and I was came and I hadn't been for a few years helping my mom uh, in the classroom prepare and I was like oh you know what I'll go with you this time and I went into the classroom and we were having a little cup of tea and different things as we prepared it got all the doll clothes or the dress clothes ready for dress up corner and things like that and uh, as I was sharpening the pencil crayons for her uh, we had CBC on uh, CBC radio and she liked to leave that on while she was working and it was one of those moments where your adult life or uh, your youth, your teenage life, but what was becoming my adult life and my childhood collided because they were having an interview with G.E. Smith. And I don't know if you know who that is, but he was the band leader for Saturday Night Live at the time and for many, many years. And it was quite funny because they were like, and now an interview with G.E. Smith. And my ears perked up and I was like, hey, I know who that is. And my mom says, you you know who that is? How do you know who that is? Of course, she didn't watch Saturday Night Live. And uh, I said, yeah, he's the the band leader of Saturday Night Live for, for years and years. And she was like, you know, he had a career before that, right? And I was like, oh, it never occurred to me. I thought he was just on Saturday Night Live. But she said, no, no, he was a musician before that. And so she only knew about the the pre-Saturday Night Live part, and I only knew about the during Saturday Night Live part. So it was quite funny to have those two worlds collide, and it was a time where I saw my mom as very human, very real, and very approachable. And it was just kind of one of those mind-melting moments where your parents and your social life collide. So I always thought it was kind of a moment that stayed with me that uh, I always got a chuckle out of, and so we kind of bonded it that day. I also remember we used to camp as teenagers and I suppose younger than that but I really remember the teenager years more than the elementary but I mean those are all there in pictures but uh, we would just all go camping with our friends and people would say to me don't you miss your friends when you go away on holidays don't you miss your best friend I was like no they come with us because we were part of the church community they all uh, we would go to the uh, retreats the camping the the group events and then so we would just take all our best friends with us and as we got to be over in the teenager years we would just go to each other's campsites and we would just ride bikes all day and I remember the first time I was old enough to go to the beach in the evening with the older kids. And uh, I was always kind of the little kids kind of grouped into that. So I remember the first time I got to do that, it was like this amazing experience. You might as well have taken me to Hollywood or something and uh, walking around. And I've always loved nighttime, the the stars and being out. So it was kind of a mesh of all that and and got to be with the older kids and even though they were only one year or two years older than me, for some reason it felt huge. Walking down to the beach and wandering around. and My parents would hang out with their friends as well, which is my friend's parents. And they would play card games often into the wee hours. And we would all be going to bed and they would still be up laughing and, and enjoying each other's company. 
and uh, my mom taught me a funny trick and she was like um, when we went camping if you were going to have a party always invite the park ranger they can say no but they will always feel included and go easier on you so I remember well, I can't remember if it was real or if it's a joke my mom said but she used to say yeah if if people ever came to complain, it'd be like, oh, where's the, I'm going to go complain to the park ranger because you're too noisy. They'd go, or you could just have a seat and join the party. <laughs> and then, or it'd be like, or the other one is, oh, um, yeah, he's over there. Go have him. He's having a drink. <laughs> go talk to him over there. He's part of the party. So, of course, that was a different time when they could relax on their shift. Now, I'm sure they have to stay in, in uh, work mode, but <laughs> I thought it was funny and there was one time my when we were camping as teenagers, my mom, she loved a good joke. Like, just loved a good joke. And uh, one time it was nighttime and she was standing next to this gigantic rock that was in our campsite, right in the, the entranceway. And she looked at each kid as they went past, don't trip over the rock, don't trip over the rock, don't trip over the rock. Of course, knowing me, I would still trip over it, but I didn't. And then she turned around and tripped over it. <laughs> And we howled. Of course, we helped her up. But just the idea, she loved a good joke. And uh, I remember one time my cousin told her her age in minutes or hours, was it? My cousin told her her age in hours and she was just, you brat! <laughs> but uh, those were fun things. Well, some people didn't necessarily get, yes, she was very, uh, she was strict as a teacher. Um, but what she was doing for the kids was, um, not everyone, um, there was a mix of social classes and, and income levels of families that went to our school. And she really took a hold of the kids who really didn't have opportunities quite the same way for grooming for different things and she really taught them about why you tuck in your shirt not just tuck in your shirt tuck in your shirt tuck in your shirt kid <gasps> it was different it was oh she like she really took the time to explain you tuck in your shirt because this person is offering you an opportunity to learn and this is one way you can show them respect and being grateful for this opportunity and not just that but respect for yourself and to create opportunities for yourself in your life based on the things that you do for yourself and she really took the time with each kid that was having troubles to show them that and um I never forgot that. It was just such an, an amazing thing. Obviously, she helped all the other kids that were on their journey as well, but she really took the time to focus on those. And so even as those kids grew up to grade six, grade seven, and then as the high school, as it they added on the high school later, kids would stand up straight in the hallway when they saw her right away. It was just like standing up straight. And it wasn't out of fear. It was out of respect because she had taught them about those things. Oh, when there's someone you respect in the room, you put your head up, you make eye contact, and you show who you are. You, you be proud of yourself 
be proud, hold your head up. And it was amazing because all of these kids, when she would walk past, they would sit up straight, hello, and they would say her name in full. And it was just kind of neat to see that kind of respect given to a teacher and given to a person and given to my mom who worked so hard and did give so much of herself. So it was kind of neat. And I know she really enjoyed being, um, she wasn't the music teacher, but she did um, take her class to the music festival many, many times. I, I lost count, but um, she would take them and she would be the conductor and she would direct them and, and be the conductor at the front. And of course, being musical myself, anytime we had a family event, I would plead to my mom, can I be the DJ? We don't need a DJ, Catherine. We're just going to turn on the radio. Well, can I flip the station? Can I put the record on? All right. <laughs> and at Christmas also, we couldn't just do Christmas carols because I insisted on being the one at the front of the room being the conductor and all those kinds of things. Thank you for listening to this episode and I can't wait to work on the next one. Okay, bye.